All right, church family, let me ask you a question. What is the most, your most favorite vacation or most favorite paradise you've ever had? I want you to think about that. Curious, anybody ever been to Tahiti? Nobody goes there from here. I don't understand. Nobody's been, I've never been to Tahiti. Hawaii? Okay, I've been to some Hawaii, some favorite places even with it. Well, Hawaii is part of our country. Oops. Um, I went to a place. Sometimes you say things you really don't realize until they come out. And then you try to bring them back. And my honeymoon, we went to Hawaii um, almost 18 years ago now. Went on this 10-day Hawaiian cruise. It was so cool. And one place we went to is called Fanning Island. International waters, actually. It's exactly halfway between Australia and the United States. And we went there. And that's one of my most favorite memories because of what appeared to be the purity of the land. Now, I don't know the spiritual level of the people there, but the water was clear. They had one diesel generator to a government school for electricity. It was just... It was just raw. It was just what it was, nature. Do you have a place like that? I want you to think of that. Maybe, maybe yours is actually not a beach. <laughs> maybe yours is the woods. Maybe yours is a trail. What's that place for you? Now, imagine somebody comes to you and says, listen, I'm going to give you a way where you can live that best life your, your lodging and everything is going to be fully paid for. I'm going to give you a car. You're going to have food, all that you need. And best of all, a maid that will come in and straighten up after you make a mess. Come on, you know that's for real. Parent, parents especially, right? And so imagine, if you will, like this opportunity. Now, I'm not talking about a week or, or I'm not talking about two weeks or a month. I'm talking about a new lifestyle, you can have all of this for free, but you've got to pack up all your stuff and you have to move there. See, it feels a little bit different when I say that, doesn't it? Because when you think it's just going to be a temporary experience and you put it in a scrapbook and you're all good. But if I say to you, all this new life awaits you, blessing, promise, but it's hard because until you really take on that new lifestyle, you're not there yet. You can't live in Tahiti and in your hometown at the same time. You, you can't have one foot in and one foot in, one foot out, one foot in. You can't say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm to be all about this, but not really be all about this. Why do I throw something out weird and jumbled like that to you? Oftentimes, people will look at our Christian faith like that. They'll say, oh, man, I'm gonna, I want to experience new life. I want to be free from addiction. I want to be free uh, just from my sin. I want to be free. I want to experience what it really means to be free. That would be like a paradise to me. So I'm going to give a lot of my sin away, the big ones, especially whatever, whatever the church is talking about, because they'll, they'll make them sound really good. I'm going to give away the big sins. I'm going to hold on to a little bit of my mess because, frankly, I'm comfortable in my mess, and I'm not, I'm not afraid of my mess, and I'm going to be okay with my mess. But hey, don't worry, pastor, I gave all of this. And that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. You're either all in or you're all out. This casual Christianity is a contradiction in terms by itself. 
Jesus was probably the worst marketer for Christianity of all time. He said crazy things, like count the cost. He said crazy things like, if you follow me and you love me, it's going to be like you, you actually, comparatively speaking, me being a priority in your life, the top priority, it's going to feel like you hate everybody else. Wild things. Who would follow that? Crowds were following Jesus, and he turned around and said, hey, he said exactly that thing. Hey, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be like you're leaving everything else behind. And they all left. He looked at his disciples and said, are you guys going too? And they said, well, where are we supposed to go? You're the son of God. So today we're going to walk through five things through the book of Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look at how we count the cost. I'm going to give you a little bit of an upfront. This is not going to be a powwow moment for you to be like, oh man, based on what he said, I feel energized to follow Jesus now. I'm going to give you the truth and I'm going to ask you just to deal with it. Is that fair? I'll be honest every step of the way, but I don't believe it's going to be easy. Because I'm going to say things like following Jesus is actually going to challenge your livelihood. It's actually going to challenge your sense of security. It's actually going to challenge the very faith that you say you have. It's actually going to challenge your healing, your ultimate healing of salvation. And it's the challenges, all these challenges are going to be messy. All right, grab a connection card. Who wants to sign up today? It's not easy. I'm not trying to do a bait and switch. Oh, he's just doing a play on terms. Don't come to Jesus today moment. No, I'm just going to share with you how hard it really is. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. You understand it's not fluff. It's not, you know how excruciatingly hard and difficult it is to trust and believe and to have faith when you just don't understand something, when you don't understand why I get to do a funeral for a five-day-old, I don't get that. I don't understand that, but I choose to believe he is God and I am not. I don't understand why people walk through addiction. They go, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. And other people can do the same drug or situation for years and just walk away from it. I don't understand that. Maybe I'm not going to. It's a challenge and it's hard. What awaits us, the glory that awaits us, far outweighs the challenge. But for today, we're going to talk about the challenge. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 18. We've been walking through the book of Matthew. Matthew, as you know, uh, was a uh, Jewish tax collector. He was looked at as somebody that betrayed his Jewish people. He was somebody that was taking a lot of money from people. He was, he was stealing from people, got the tax for Rome, and then got some extra money for his pocket. And he was allowed to do it, and nobody was going to fight him because all he had to do was call them out, and then Rome would take care of him. So nobody was coming up against Rome at the time. So here we are, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to start walking through verse 18. 
This is going to open us, open us up to understanding that we need to count the cost of following Jesus. There will be a challenge to your livelihood. Everything you're used to, everything that's comfortable to you, could very well, in fact, be a challenge. In fact, taking you away from what you knew as comfortable. Verse 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, he's right here in the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to go back and forth a couple times. Then one of the teachers of the religious law, as he's getting ready to go out on the lake here, saw, him, saw the teacher, and he said, saw Jesus, and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Count me in. Now, in that moment, you know, uh, oftentimes, especially as a pastor, you're like, oh, you're willing? Okay, good. Come on in. Let's just figure it out along the way. And, right, no conversation. No, I just want to keep building you up, right? Positivity. Like, I want to keep you going and keep you going. And I don't want to ask any difficult questions. Jesus says the opposite. He says that he says something crazy that I might even have to explain. Jesus replied to him. Now, again, the Pharisee said, I'm all in. I want you to take everything of me. Let's go. Jesus says, you know, foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests. But the son of man, referring to himself, has no place even to lay his head. Oh, man, I would have filled out a connection card. I would have gotten an email, like something. And he's not saying don't follow. He's saying count the cost. You're used to a comfortable life. You're a, you're, you're a religious leader. Um, you're a teacher, so you probably have more than most. You're used to comfort. If you follow me, you're probably going to be homeless. Because, you know, I'm, I'm on the go. I'm, travel, I'm an itinerant, uh, itinerant preacher. I just go and I do ministry. And if you follow me, that's what it's going to look like. And so he kind of lays this out to him. And then he has another moment right then and there. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home to bury my father. And Jesus says something in, for 2023, which is super unkind. Are you ready for this? Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. I know. I know. Jesus said that. How do you swing that into a positive moment? Well, let's just reveal it for what it truly is. The, the sentence there that says, Lord, first let me, is a contradiction in terms. It just can't, it's a self-canceling statement. Here's what I mean by this. The word Lord, we just don't use it. I've tried to get my family to start using it, referring to me, and I had no takers. So like when you say Lord, it actually, it's not just a, a cute title. It actually is a full submissive. If I call Jesus Lord, I don't use me in the rest of the sentence. It's fully 100% bowing for, I say, okay, follow me, Lord, okay. That's what that looks like. But to say, Lord, first let me, you just can't put yourself in the same sentence as Lord. You can take Lord out and say, can I go home first? That's a legitimate statement. You can say, Lord, okay, that's legitimate. But to say, Lord, first let me, what's going on here is he's saying, listen, I want to follow you, but first I want to live my life. First, I want to go and I want to do some things. You know what? My, my father is not really dying yet, but, but he will be, and I got to take care of him after all. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and take care of him. And, and eventually, as soon as he's gone, I'm all in. Just give, me, just give me a little bit of time. Jesus says, now's the time. I know that's not very attractive. 
kind of like, I don't get that. Hey, who fully understood Jesus when he was here? I don't fully grasp it, but I do know the principle is understanding that Jesus has to be the first in my life above everything. Everything. Even the dearest, sweet people I love, I put Jesus first. Now, that doesn't mean that you're serving every single minute of every single hour within the local church. Is that what that means? No. It means that your faith is the focus of it all. You make decisions based on what Jesus would say. You, you go in certain directions based on what, the, what, what Scripture teaches you. That is what it's talking about. So first of all, it's going to challenge your livelihood. It's going to be hard. You might live in a different place. I've known people to sell cars because other people needed money. I've known people to move and downsize their house because they were going to use the extra money to support a missionary. I've known people to do goofy things because they believed that the Lord Jesus was calling them to something crazy. And to the world, it looks goofy. To the church, it looks like obedience. That's the difference between dark and light, night and day. It's supposed to look like that much of a contrast. So first of all, it's going to challenge your livelihood. Second of all, count the cost of following Jesus. There will be a challenge to your sense of security. Your sense of security. We are such, did you know, statistically, that the generation that we're raising right now is the most overprotected generation in all of history? Let me explain. Have you ever known parents to freak out, so, I'm sorry, raise such a fuss um, over things that are happening in school? Now, stay with me for a minute. I have never seen it to such a level where, now I'm not talking about extreme situations, I'm talking about minor situations. My daughter has a difficult friendship at school. And she goes, and she, and the friend keeps saying, I don't want to be your friend. That's what she tells me. I don't be your friend. I'll be your friend. I don't be your friend. And there was a part of me, this was so weird. A part of me wanted to call the friend's parents and be like, hey, what's going on? Because I know that. Like, we know them, uh, kind of. And I wanted to talk it out with them. And then I started thinking, man, that just seems like I'm really getting involved. You know what? I'm going to pray for my grace and I'm going to ask Grace to work it out. Now, I'm going to guide her. I'm going to encourage her. I'm going to walk with her. I'm not going to be like, just deal with it, lady, right? No, I'm going to walk. That's what's called. These are the training years. My job is to train my children. And so let's walk through this together. And there has been no drama. And if the parents were to reach out or whatever, we can, I don't know. But your sense of security is going to be challenged when following Jesus. I told my wife from the time that Trevor was born, he's 14 now, and I said, I, I think there's a possibility Trevor might be moving to another country to be a missionary, to do something in a place that we'll never have access to. Why would you say that? I don't know. I just had to have been praying over this young kid, and he's the baby, he's the baby baby, you know? And, and so maybe, I said, is that okay? And over time, as we've grown and matured in our faith, we began to understand how hard that would be but how significant it is for him to be in God's will in a difficult situation rather than to be out of God's will under our safety. 
Your sense of security is going to be challenged. Verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and and, and it started across the lake with his disciples. Now suddenly, they're on the lake here. And here in the the lake of Galilee, you're going to have storms that are just going to pick up out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden it's nice and then it's just going to start crashing down. That's the way that the system works over there. Not even just then, but today. Same system, same lake. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. What in the world? Jesus was sleeping. And there's a storm going on. How do you sleep, Jesus, in a storm? Only two possibilities that you can actually have peace in the middle of your storm is either either you know the one that caused the storm or you know uh, or you have you're, you're the one that caused the storm so jesus is there jesus god in the flesh storm waves boats rock and this is not a cruise ship people this is a boat this is a wood boat it was probably a nice sturdy boat uh, but nonetheless it wasn't like this big space and it's just crashing and jesus is asleep And his disciples start freaking out. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I get it. When your storm hits, you think everything's going to fall apart because you start to worry. Jesus had nothing to worry about. He was aware. I don't think for a second he didn't know. But either he was in control of the storm or he knew who was in control of the storm. When you truly follow Jesus in your life and Jesus is Lord of your life, here's what worry looks like. Man, how's that going to work out? I don't know. Let's pray about it. Wait, that doesn't sound like worry. Exactly. Because you begin to rewire, you begin to transform from the old, right, into this new. You're renewing your mind From the inside out, things are changing. And so you go to the Lord. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. House caught on fire, lost everything. We're living in a hotel. I've heard stories like that. In our community, we've had people experience that. And imagine, this is terrible experience. Not to minimize the experience, because it is terrible, excruciating. But to say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sound familiar? Even with a Catholic background, you remember that. Lord, your will be done in our lives. We are hurting, but we trust you anyways. That's what that looks like. And so they're waking up Jesus because they're not doing that. And they said, hey, wake up, we're going to die. Jesus responds, you can imagine, right? He's human, so he's wiping his eyes. uh, Maybe a moment of, why are you afraid? Right? Who is this guy? Oh, you guys have such little faith. Who does this guy think he is? Why are you following someone you don't even know, right? And you say, well, who who is this guy? He's going to tell us. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. And then they have this moment, the disciple. And we've all had this moment. After things work out and you've worried for days or weeks on end and it works out in a situation and then you get calm and you say, man, why did I even worry in the first place, right? That's what's going down here. 
no, we're going to die, we're going to drown. And he rebukes the wind and the waves. Two miracles here. The storm goes silent, but also the water goes calm. In a storm, when the storm goes away, the water's still moving because it needs to settle down. But Jesus shows his authority given to him by his father that not only do I have control over the storm, which is cool enough, now I can calm the water just as it is. That is wild. And they say the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. You got to count the cost because sometimes it's going to challenge your sense of security. Number three, count the cost of following Jesus. There will be a challenge to your faith. Your faith is going to be challenged. You say, hey, I'm all in. I'm going to follow Jesus. Great. Okay, you ready? You, you, don't get into a, you don't get into a posture of comfort. You don't lean against the wall. You don't lounge back and just kind of take it in. Okay, following Jesus, everything's all good. You got to get ready. You got to get into a fighting stance. You got to get ready to go. And oftentimes it looks more like prayer than it does boxing. But you got to be ready because the enemy already had you. So there was no fight for you. But now you're saying you're going to follow this Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Oh, no. Now, now something's about to happen. Now there's going to be a literal fight for your soul. Matthew 28. When Jesus arrived to the other side of the lake in the region, two men were, uh, who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tomb and were so violent that no one could go through the area. So they were just wreaking havoc, the, the demons within this individual, these individuals. They began screaming at him. Now, first of all, you got to understand, we have a spirit, there's a spiritual realm that is always around us. I know it sounds kind of hokey, right? All we know is shows like Bewitched, Charmed, Harry Potter. That covers all our generations in here, by the way. Like, you, we, know, we look at these and we're like... The Wizard of Oz, right? You have the Good Witch of the North, and you have the Wicked Witch of the... See, you're up on this. Who needs to read the Bible? Because they're painting a picture that's just not accurate. There's a spiritual realm that is involved, and it is always against any plan the Lord has, trying to hinder the purposes of God. Jesus did not go on a witch hunt. He wasn't going out going, I'm going to cast out demons everywhere I see. I'm going after them. Send me this house, do this. He was, he was doing ministry and the enemy showed up. Oh, we're doing this now. Okay, well, I had a plan here, but this is what we're going to do. I got to go through you. And so it shows up. You don't have to go looking for the enemy to get all up in your head, causing you to tear someone down, causing someone else to tear you down. Peter said to Jesus, you're not going to go and die. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me. That isn't his name. But because Jesus knew that Peter wasn't, clearly wasn't possessed, but he wasn't operating like him. He was operating out of fear and the enemy was whispering in Peter's ear. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know to do that. It's a real thing. When we, look at these, when we look at these demons, let's look at verse 29. They began screaming at him. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Let me give you two interesting things from this passage. First of all, 
we have demons are always trying to hinder the purpose of God. They're trying to extend the power of Satan. Demons cannot possess believers. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And, uh, and they cannot, but they can for sure oppress and tempt us. We know that. Jesus was tempted, but he was not controlled. Now, these are interesting demons here. I wonder if they represent the rest of the group. These demons believe in the existence of God. Did you know there is no demon that's an atheist? They're too smart. They know this. They're well aware. Why? Because they were there. They're fallen angels. They've seen him. They know and they acknowledge Jesus as son of God. They acknowledge his deity immediately. Even though they're on the wrong side, they acknowledge who he is. These demons believe in the deity of Jesus. These demons believe in future judgment. This is a cool thing that I hadn't seen before. And when you study your Bible, things just pop out left and right. He says, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? The demons believe there's a future judgment. We've read about that before, have you not? Even going into the book of Revelation, there will be a future judgment. And they're saying, listen, we know it's coming, but is that now you coming now? Because we know we're going to the lake of fire, but how about, now listen to this, how about you send us into the lake first? Like, just don't get rid of us. Because you demons need to ask for permission. Did you know that? Demons just don't get to do whatever they want to do. You read the book of Job, and the enemy went before God, and God gives permission, or he denies the request. God is always fully in control. Now, why would a good God do that? He's a just God. And guess what? I'm not God. I don't know why he does all that he does, but I'm choosing. I've read the back of the book. You ever do that? He, he wins, and I'm not trying to be on the opposite side because it doesn't look pretty. And the demons believe in the power of prayer because they had a conversation with Jesus. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, verse 31. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. The synoptic of Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. Mark chapter 5 says there was about 2,000 pigs in this herd. And so they're asking for permission. Jesus says, okay. I'll grant you that permission. Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men, entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down in the steep hillside into the lake and downward in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby uh, town, telling everyone what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone because sometimes your faith is going to be challenged. Wait a second, I've lost everything in this. Yeah, you probably did. But God is the God who gives and he's also the God who takes away. So far, this is just the truth. This is just the truth. Following Jesus comes with a cost. The fourth thing is, count the cost of following Jesus because there will be a challenge to your healing. Now, when I say healing, I know that can kind of feel a little hokey, like a physical healing or a thing like that. But it literally is talking about the ultimate healing of salvation. Your salvation, that healing moment will be challenged, no doubt. Because you follow Jesus, it doesn't get easier. It actually gets more difficult. 
This is going to take us into Matthew chapter 9. So we're going to now go into Matthew chapter 9 as we're looking at the challenges to our spiritual healing. Jesus climbed into a boat, back in a boat, going across the other side of the lake, uh, going back to his hometown, Capernaum, or not hometown, his own town, where he set up his headquarters. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, this story is uh, fascinating because it uses words like dug a hole in the roof. I don't know about you, but if somebody started digging in my roof, I'd be mad. You with me? Right? Because you know Northeast Ohio weather, you don't know what's going to come in. Basically, what happens at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9 here is that Jesus, Jesus is teaching, and what happens is that there's four individuals, we know there's four from Mark chapter 2, that uh, bring a paralyzed man, and they can't get to Jesus. And so they go onto the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, 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 I don't know how do you say it, and they dig they this hole and they lower him down, they straight up interrupt the small group Bible study. Right? That's faith right there. We're going to disrupt the religious people and we're going to get all up in there because Jesus is there and I got to get close to Jesus. Jesus was a, was, saw their faith, a friend's faith. Say, wow, look at their faith. And he said, be encouraged. One of my favorite lines. Be encouraged, he said. The New Living Translation translates it that way. Be encouraged because of their faith. Now, you may have heard the kind of the quirky phrase that says, well, you know why you weren't healed of your ailment or your illness? Because you didn't have enough faith. Has anybody heard that? Okay, so let's, let's talk through that for a brief moment. That's a lie. Jesus gets to do whatever Jesus wants to do. And in this moment, he's not even referencing the paralyzed in, the individual with paralysis, okay? The paralyzed guy with his faith. He's talking about his friend's faith. Sometimes we will intercede for our friends and our family, and you'll need to pray hard and trust that God can do whatever God wants to do. And then you leave it up to him. But the religious leaders were freaking out because Jesus said, hey, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And there's this whole back and forth of, what do you mean his sins are forgiven? Who do you think you are? Is this guy? But they weren't saying it out loud. This is classic religious people. They were just thinking it. They had hatred in their heart. Remember we talked about that at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Right? With uh, the idea that you have this, actually before, or before, yeah, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, um, you've heard it said, don't kill, but I say to you, don't even hate on your brother because it's the same thing. They're doing that. Who does, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus looks at them. They didn't say anything audibly, but Jesus knows. And he says, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier for, for, to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, I don't know that Jesus was being like in their face. Um, probably just, you know, he's, he's right. He doesn't have to be like sassy about it. He doesn't have to be like arrogant about it. He just needs to be right. And this is Jesus. So he has a moment with them and he says, I'll just prove to you that I'm the son of man. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, okay, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. 
and he literally jumped up. I don't know if he started skipping. I probably would be like Tigger from Winnie the Pooh because I can. So I want to bounce on my newly working legs. I want to go. I want to go. And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept over through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. So they saw it, but instead of operating out of faith, it seems like they operated out of fear. The fifth and final challenge. All these challenges I mentioned are messy. They're messy. You know what I love so much about our church family? We don't always get it right. And it's not that we're okay with it. It's that, oh, okay, I can do better. I know what to do now. And we move on. We say it all the time. It's not a shaming thing. It's a revealing thing. We're not trying to shame people. We're trying to reveal things because the church of Jesus Christ is accountable to itself, to each other. And we come to one another and we say things like, hey, were you aware of this? And, and some people rise to the challenge and they're like, listen, um, let's go. Let's keep going. And other people don't. That's just the way that it is. We do it with love. We do it with grace. We do it with authenticity. We share life with each other. But boy, oh boy, is it messy. Boy, is it messy. People are going to be in your circle that you're just kind of like, we don't talk that way. I know, because it's messy. Oh, we don't live that way. I know it's messy. But if they don't have the Jesus that you know, you better be okay with getting into that mess. Because that's why we follow Christ. First, we receive salvation, and we, are, right, we love God. Look up over here in this little square here. We love God, come to Christ. We learn to love people as we, as we love God, and then we make disciples, teaching people to uh, go up, love God, love people who make disciples. That's the whole point. You've got to be okay with the mess. Here's a messy situation at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus walks by Matthew, the tax collector. Now, Matthew is writing this about himself. The other two synoptics call him Levi. You'll remember Levi was most likely his original name. Why would Matthew not say Levi? Because Matthew probably wants you to know what Jesus has done for him as opposed to where he was. No, 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 Levi who? I'm Matthew. I am a gift. You're a tax collector. No, Levi was the tax collector. I'm Matthew. Gift of God. That is so great. And he lays this all out because Jesus walks by the tax booth. You know, we always have that phrase, the tax collectors and the sinners always paired together. And he walks by the tax booth and he says, Matthew, follow me. Now, Matthew was probably familiar with Jesus at some level. And he begins to follow Jesus, a despised, hated thief called a tax collector who made everybody else's life, probably in that group, harder, almost impossible because of how he did his tax collecting. And yet, he became a disciple of Jesus. So what's the big idea takeaway for today? Well, it's simple. Jesus says, count the cost. 
You want to follow Jesus? You are invited to follow Jesus. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would be saved. Everybody's invited. Jesus says, everybody, you're invited. Count the cost first. So what do you do after something like today that's kind of full? It's kind of heavy. This week, I want you to pray for wisdom as you count the cost of following him. Believers and unbelievers alike, spend some time thinking about man. And then I want you to look up. What do you mean the benefits far outweigh the struggle? That would be an amazing study for you to do on your own. And the next week, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 9.